Hey folks, don't forget to sign up for the Awake and Aware conference. This is a three-day interactive workshop focusing on skills to thrive in our incredibly demanding jobs. This is taught by the leaders of emergency medicine coaching, Rob Orman, Scott Weingart, and a crew of performance coaches. There's a link in the show notes, or you can go to awakenawarebend.com and use the discount code GEL, G-E-L, for 100 bucks off your registration. Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello out there to our POCUS enthusiasts and welcome to our Ultrasound Gel Junior Podcast. It has been too long for me to see the beautiful faces of Russ Horowitz and Leanne McLean. Hi, guys. Hi, all. Hey. Can't wait to talk about our article today entitled Ultrasonography or Radiography for Suspected Pediatric Distal Forearm Fractures. I am pretty jazzed about this. We are going to do a article out of the esteemed New England Journal of Medicine that was from June of 2023, published by PJ Snelling, our Australian colleague at et al., with probably, I don't know, guys, the best acronym I've ever heard of for a research group, a ultrasound study on forearm fractures that the acronym is BUCKLED. I think they might have won an award for that. That's pretty great. Yeah, right? I mean, come on. Maybe they're just naturally good at at acronyms, but it's very impressive. So getting to the article, we know in pediatric emergency medicine that forearm fractures are a common injury in our patients when they come to the ED. And the most common of these are the buckle, i.e. a non-displaced fracture of the distal radius. We know that sometimes we have to rule out other things like a transverse distal radius fracture or even like a both bone, but that the most common is a buckle. And that x-ray right now is currently the standard of care for diagnosis, partially to rule out some of those alternative diagnoses, but also just because we're used to using x-rays. It is kind of what we do standardly, at least at my institution. But there's these authors kind of were looking into the fact that there is growing evidence that POCUS for forearm fractures is actually an accurate, timely, and generally preferred modality uh, for, from the children's standpoint and the parents' standpoint. We could think of lots of reasons for this. Cost could be one. Also, you know, my kid had a broken arm and moving it around to get that x-ray, it smarted, as opposed to just doing it laying still with some ultrasound gel and a little bit of distraction. So this is a really interesting study where they are trying to look to see if POCUS for distal forearm fractures can be defined as non-inferior to x-ray as the initial imaging modality in terms of subsequent physical function of the arm. So again, a non-inferiority study with our main questions being Is a clinician-performed point-of-care ultrasound inferior to x-ray as the initial imaging modality for non-displaced distal forearm fractures of children with respect to patient-centered outcomes? So the way they're measuring that is arm function at four weeks. And then there's also some secondary outcomes that um, I'm going to let the good Dr. McLean get into when we start talking about population and study design. Leanne, take it away. So this study took place in Australian children aged 5 to 15 years, and the key is that these are kids who had isolated distal forearm injuries without obvious deformity. So predictably, exclusion criteria included any polytrauma, obvious angulation 
or deformity or known bone diseases that would require probably further investigation. It is a really impressive design. So it's a multi-center open label, non-inferiority randomized control trial across four sites in Southeast Queensland. And you can read about all of the details of the study design, which is published in the supplementary appendix to the paper. The protocol and the plan are also separately published, and it's worth taking a look if you're looking to design something like this, because it's really an impressive feat to pull off. Um, The randomization was done in a one-to-one ratio in blocks of six to eight and stratified across site and age. And patients were randomized to point-of-care ultrasound and then had a subsequent x-ray only if really there was a cortical breach or there was a clinical suspicion, despite a normal POCUS finding, which meant like sort of pain out of proportion of it being just a soft tissue injury, for example. Also, if patients couldn't tolerate the ultrasound or if there was any sort of of those secondary signs uh, on ultrasound, you could go through and uh, decide to do an x-ray as well. What was really nice as well about the design is that the final diagnosis was determined by an expert panel that included a radiologist focused in pediatric MSK, a pediatric orthopedic surgeon, as well as a fellowship trained PEM physician. So really beautiful multidisciplinary team kind of coming together to make this project work. As Delia mentioned, the primary outcome was looking at that physical function at four weeks post-injury, and they used a scale and a questionnaire called the Promise Scale, and they go into what that is in the paper as well. They also looked at a lot of secondary outcomes that they've mentioned in the supplementary appendix, and I imagine we'll be seeing more papers out of this group as they get more and more patients and do more analysis within their study, looking at things, for example, as emergency department return visits or other things in that kind of vein. So the other thing I really loved about the paper was who was doing the ultrasounds. You're looking at cross-disciplinary ultrasonographers. So there were nurse practitioners, physiotherapists, and emergency physicians that were trained in this. And it's a really beautiful illustration of how so many different types of healthcare providers can really learn this scan and provide that care. They talk about the training course, which is a two-hour simulated training course, as well as proctored scans, and then logging their own scans, looking at positives and normals. So all really important in sort of how we practice and credential in our institution as well for other scans. Ongoing feedback was given, and then there were also image bank reviews and quizzes. So really, really comprehensive, the doing, the interpreting, and then sort of the consolidation of both of those things. The scan itself is a six-view forearm protocol, and you can take a look at the paper if you want to know more about that. Getting into the results, I think this is a pretty impressive enrollment. They have 270 patients divided into two groups, ultrasound group and an x-ray group. And then they had them follow up and they had really impressive follow up. So of the 135 in each group, 130 and 132 participants responded to their four week follow up. And there's a couple of others that just didn't meet that 28 day follow up timeframe. But their primary outcome, which has to do with functionality at four weeks was not statistically inferior in the ultrasound group to the x-ray group. And then they had a secondary outcome, which they looked at one week and eight weeks, also not statistically inferior. So they broke the total group down into a subgroup analysis and looked at no fractures, buckle fractures, and then other types of fractures. And then also looked at two groups based upon age, the younger children, five to nine, and then the older group, 10 to 15. And then also, of course, looked at the different types of sites where they enrolled their patients. Collectively, they saw that there was no statistically significant difference between the ultrasound and the x-ray groups. Those are our main outcomes. 
They had also secondary outcomes, and I particularly like these as well. And there was no difference in patient satisfaction for the no difference in satisfaction for other patients for the children at four weeks. The caregivers reported increased satisfaction in the ultrasound group at the four-week follow-up timeframe, and then also the eight-week timeframe. There were, not surprisingly, a shorter time to ED triage in the ultrasound group, and then also the clinician review to ED triage and discharge. An additional important point is that the ultrasound group didn't end up getting more x-rays. So it's not as if they did the ultrasound and they also did their x-rays. Or someone looked at the image and was like, yeah, it looks pretty good, but we'll also do a bunch of other x-rays. People who got the ultrasound ended up not having more x-rays done. Yeah, really important point. Yeah, they were less likely to get imaging initially, but not necessarily by eight weeks. So with the initial presentation, these patients who were in the ultrasound group got significantly less x-rays. And at follow-up, the rate was the same. But interestingly, you know, at follow-up, there might have been more information. Some people had different presentations, increased pain, and you can see all that in the supplementary data. So some strengths. Russ, you mentioned one strength that you really liked was the different types of machines across a variety of settings. I thought that was awesome and not typically done. Additionally, as Leanne had mentioned, like having all the different providers both performing the scans, which is more realistic and what we actually like our goal in real clinical medicine, but also the multitude of specialties that determine the diagnosis after the fact like that. I I don't think I've seen that. Leanne, have you seen that in many studies to actually include ortho and EM and radiology? I really liked it because it showed that there was sort of this, I guess, groundswell of kind of buy-in in thinking about this. And the way I kind of read the paper and thought about using the ultrasound is really sort of like an ultrasound first protocol right? So you see this patient, they're previously well, they have slight swelling to the wrist, you do the ultrasound, if it's a buckle, you can put them in one direction, right? Maybe it's a removable splint and follow up with their family doctor, for example, which is what we would do in our our hospital. And then if you see that cortical breach, or you see those secondary signs on ultrasound, because we know all those soft tissues are really well visualized, right? We can see periosteal hematomas and pronator quadrus hematomas, and we can kind of look at that cortical disruption, then we send to x-ray. And so then already you're taking that like simple buckle group and you're breaking them away from the pack, right? You're taking that no fracture group, the soft tissue swelling group where maybe they're really concerned because there's something else going on, but ultimately they've got great range of motion and you're not worried clinically and you're saving them x-rays, which yes, they're not a huge radiological burden, but depending on the system you're working in could be quite a high cost burden right? And also a time burden. I don't know about you guys, but for us at heavy times, you know, kids are waiting in line at x-ray for a super long time because there's just so much to do. And so I think the time savings and potentially the cost savings either to the system or to the the family could be massive there. And so I I really liked that about the study because it it was really pragmatic in that way, even though it was well-designed, it was very specific Their follow-up was incredible. How they were able to kind of capture all these kids was really great. What was interesting to me is like, how would I apply this if I was teaching it in my practice, right? Like, when would I use it clinically? And I think using it as kind of that low-risk triage tool to say, we know functionally these fractures do really well. We don't need to do too much about them anyways. So can we diagnose them in a way that saves the system or the person time and money? It's pretty great. Right. At my institution, everyone knows that the buckle doesn't need a splint, doesn't need a cast. 
it doesn't even need necessarily orthopedic follow-up, but we have to be willing to jump to that next step of actually like doing the ultrasound potentially, or at least acknowledging that the kind of physical limitations and concerns with this kind of fracture are quite low. So maybe we don't need to be so aggressive in our workups, the time spent for them in the ER, the cost, all of that stuff. Because I know you were mentioning x-rays taking a long time in your institution. I mean, just moving, even if you have the fastest institution, getting someone from the lobby to the x-ray suite, back to the lobby, then the radiologist reads it, then this, it's still a lot of time that you really could consider saving by just maybe having a doc and triage, throwing a probe on the arm really quick and saying, yeah, this person goes here, this person goes there. It would be really an interesting idea. You know, for you guys who are going to read this maybe later, the supplement and the design of the study are truly one of the most impressive I've ever seen. You might not need it for the question you're trying to answer as a clinician, but if you're trying to slide something across the table to your orthopedic colleagues, your med staff, any radiology department to try to justify this workflow, it's very impressive. And you could definitely make the argument very astutely that we don't need to be doing all of this stuff. Now, how good people are at long bone ultrasound, I would say I'm pretty decent, but it was more kind of for funsies. And now I feel that Peter Stelling et al. have kind of shown me that funsies can turn into the real deal holy field. So I have to appreciate that. Was there anything else, Russ, that you thought was cool about this paper? You know, I like the the overall sort of approach that you and Leanne talked about that if we can identify these buccal fractures, we can put them into a very different group. And that group doesn't require all the intervention and all the resource utilization that we often think about when we group fractures together. And it reminded me a little bit about some kinds of things like clavicle fractures in the newborn, where mm-hmm. back in the day, mm-hmm. pediatricians just said, yeah, that's a clavicle fracture. This is what you do. We don't need ortho. We don't need a big intervention. And you're kind of done. And yeah. maybe we can sort yeah. of move to streamline our evaluation process for kids who have forearm injuries to sort of say, this is the kind of thing that we should offload from radiology or offload to, from ortho and just put into the easy, simple ultrasound management and say, this it's just as good, not inferior, and this is how we proceed with the workup and evaluation of these kids. Yeah, it's a, it's a fracture type that lends itself to that, right? Because when they're measuring functional outcomes, the reality is for buccal fractures, functional outcomes are really great. And when you're talking about these non-displaced cortical breach fractures as well, generally they tend to be really good. And so you've got a pretty low risk kind of intervention when you're thinking about that, right? Because this isn't a group of fractures where there's a ton of, I guess, side effects or morbidity associated with the healing. And so it's a great group to kind of explore this in because you're your risk of a bad outcome, I guess, is pretty low. And there's certainly, there was a paper or I guess a letter written back to the New England Journal by two uh, Chinese physicians out of Wuhan who kind of mentioned that, you know, that realistically physical function is expected to be excellent regardless of the imaging method. And I think that they're really, you know, kind of pushing at the fact that ultrasound is is great for a lot of detailed analysis as well of the soft tissues, right? So when you think about all of these distal forearm fractures that are not displaced or not significantly displaced, you're dealing with a group of kids who are likely going to heal relatively well, almost despite what you do. Yeah, totally agree. I'm happy for the kids that they would get this kind of potentially 
less painful, faster modality. But I'm really just happy for us because then we can do this this ultrasound and talk about cortical breaches. I don't know about you guys, but writing that in a note just makes me excited. No cortical breach. Let's summarize this amazing article. It's a randomized trial out of Australia where they trained up a broad range of providers to perform ultrasound on non-displaced distal forearm fractures in children's aged 5 to 15 years old and demonstrated that ultrasound is non-inferior to x-ray as the initial imaging modality with respect to self-reported arm function at four weeks. For patient-reported measures such as pain and satisfaction, ultrasound is equivalent to x-ray. And for some objective measures such as ED length of stay, days of school missed, it may actually be superior. So for all of you who are interested in this, I would say grab your transducer, any transducer, as this paper demonstrated. And you guys can get a quick look at that long bone and see if you can break them down into different groups and maybe change the management or at least the time to management. So there's a lot of great FOMED on this article. If you want to check out the ultrasoundgel.org website and happy scanning. Happy scanning. More. Pressure. More. Gel. More. Pressure. More. Gel. Ultrasoundgel.org. You know who else does it in one take, Leanne? The Beatles.